Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to episode 60 of the School for Dumb Women. What a milestone. What an age. We can have sex without fear of pregnancy. We've had the menopause. We can crack on with our second marriage and move in with our 35-year-old yoga teacher. What a time to be alive. I'm your host woman, rediscovering carbohydrates after 40 years of self-denial, Hannah Farrell. With me is, re-wearing everything from her late teens because it'll come back round, Alexandra Haddo. I'm just so glad I didn't throw those leg warmers and this fake lip ring out, Hannah. And inventor of old wives' tales, Caroline O'Donoghue. If you don't wear a mid-length skirt after October, you'll get syphilis and don't ask me why and don't ask me how. This week we're talking about urine, machine learning and art with a special guest Gavin Day and we air someone else's dirty laundry in the Smart Lesson. I can't wait, mostly because I'm all out of pants. Hannah, I have the strange urge to do this whenever someone goes like this, shh, or whenever I look at a picture of a waterfall, Mm, an uncontrollable urge. Interesting, urge Urge to perhaps dump all of your urine? Yes, that's Ah. it, that's the badger. Yes, this week I wanted to talk about urine, about Mm. weeing, about peeing, about pissing. About um, golden showers. Golden showers, oh. yes. Having a slash. Draining the engine? Dra- yeah, there's a lot of draining, engine. isn't there? Sure. Isn't there one with a snake? Yeah, Bleeding draining, the radiator? Draining oh. the snake? Is that one? Yeah. Um, when I searched we into Google, which is always the first step, basically, when you're doing this, um, it came up with we as in we bairns. Stop, stop the erasure of we. We talked about <laughs> uh, breaking taboos last week, so I thought, yeah, like yeah, we erasure. Definitely we're going to talk. We're going to talk about we, and it's going to be piss. It's not going to be something small. Um, there is nothing better than a good piss when you need it. You've never said a truer sentence. <laughs> a good piss is infinite. Yeah, like it one is. that you really feel like you've drained everything. Tell me out. your perfect piss. Okay, I was on a road trip in America and I just had like one of those ridiculously huge drinks that's like two litres or something. Um, And we were in traffic. (gasps) Eventually we stopped at a... There was a funeral home on the side of the road and I had to run in and be like, I'm so, so sorry. Respectfully, please, could I use your toilet? Wow. And I think I weed for three minutes. (laughs) Just just, one of those ways where like there's more coming out still. Is this blood now? Like what's going on? My God. What's your favourite ever wee? Um, I did this thing where I was walking home from university and I had about, my walk was about half an hour. I started walking and about two two minutes in I needed a wee and I was so panicked and desperate by the time that I was like five minutes away from home 
that I had to ring my best mate Nat and be like, "Can you open the door for the front door?" For <laughs> oh my god! We've so all I done can, it. So I can run in and like Ooh. and like make sure nobody's in the loo. And I was like, "Don't tell the boys because they'll go in the loo on purpose." Yeah, I had a fabulous wee one time. I just remembered it now. Where um, I yeah, it was back in my uh, my single days. I'd gotten off with this guy uh, outside a pub after closing time. Sure. Um, and while this was happening, the romance and the sexual tension was mounting, but I realised I needed a piss bad and nowhere was open at this point. We're talking, oh no. we're talking quarter to three in the morning. No. Um, and uh, I I was too insecure at the time. I was too young. Too, I couldn't just go excuse myself to go piss in an alley. Yeah. Because he'd be like, you're pissing in an alley. You are no longer the girl of my dreams. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I said to him, I think I left my purse inside. Would you please go ask the doorman or whatever? Like, go basically go knock on the door because they won't they won't talk to me. I'm just a girl. Essentially, what? I con I conned this guy into going back into the pub while I ran down an alley and went for a piss, and then I came back. When did you last wet yourself? My twenty third birthday, <laughs> the night of. What did you do? Just get so pissed that you? Yeah, I just I, yeah, just got, got that's exactly it. I... I just was walking home from the bus stop with my legs together and I couldn't make it. And I pissed myself. <laughs> That's all, that's all there is to it. What do you guys think is the world record for the longest wee? How long was the longest Ooh, wee? Six minutes. I was about to say six minutes as well. Weird. It's eight minutes and 28 seconds. Wow. Whoa. Was it a woman? I don't know um, whether it was a woman or a man, actually. I can't find any information on it. And also, I've just seen uh, another person claiming that the world's longest wee was 36 minutes. So that um, cannot be true. Yeah, maybe just ignore all the facts. You'd be dead. Um, wee is 95% water. I don't know, that seems higher. That's higher than I thought it would be. Yeah. What's um, the rest of it? 2.5% urea. Mm-hmm. Uh, heard of it. 2.5% like salt, hormones, nutrients, creatine, which is a byproduct of like your liver breaking down all the water and stuff. Why is it good for you? People say that drinking your own piss is one of the best things you can do. It's not. Oh, <laughs> it's really that's, not. Doesn't come as a surprise. No, apparent. Well, apparently it is a thing that's been around for ages. Like lots of um, different cultures in history have said yeah this is good for you this will cure you of whatever Mm. um it's not you're just putting all the things that your body does not want back into your body for them to filter out again yeah um did you see that video of a woman who says that drinking her dog's piss cured her acne (gasps) no oh it was a video that was going around like facebook and stuff a few months ago and she like literally puts a plastic cup under her dog while it's weeing like against a tree and then just drinks it straight and there's obviously we don't know whether it was real or not it could have been faked it's just horrible she had to do that without knowing that it was going to cure her acne well she said it did cure her acne but it's also like well acne can clear up for any number of reasons maybe you're less stressed because you thought you had a cure and then your lack of stress <laughs> made you acne. In fairness, I've never seen a dog with acne, so it could be true. That's true. That's true. What would Sylvie's pee have to do to you to make you drink it? Oh, I think cure cystitis, actually, oh, ironically. Oh, yeah. really? Yeah, because it is my most um, persistent medical trauma. Oh, God, I fucking hate it. Yeah. Would you, would you drink it warm? No. Would that be better? I think it would be better to put it in the fridge for a few hours. Oh, yeah. It'd yeah. kind of be virtually tasteless, wouldn't it? Just you could kind it. of pretend it was juice. Mm. One thing I also wanted to look up, if you are alone in a desert and you're lost, can you survive drinking your own piss? Yes, the big Bear Grylls argument. Yes, Yes, exactly. and I met someone that did survive drinking their own piss. Really? They were in the papers and everything. Yes, yeah, a very interesting story. The one in the Australian Outback? Yes, I met him. I feel like you've told us about yeah, him, maybe. Yeah, and he, he drank his own piss and his contact lens solution. 
Mm. Oh, lovely. But it sounds like you can drink your own piss if you like really have to. Yeah. But after like more than a couple of days, it will start to like be really bad for you mm. because all of the like urea and stuff in the weed that your body wants to get rid of will just become more and more concentrated because there's more of it in it. Yeah. And also, although you're replacing the water that's gone out, there's water that comes out of your body that doesn't come out in your piss. So like in sweat yeah. and like um, in your breathing and stuff like that. So like you're just kind of concentrating down all of these things mm. um, and your kidneys will probably collapse. But also apparently if you've had an injury, so like, I don't know, say you broke your arm and then you got stuck in the desert or you broke your arm and that's why you got stuck in the desert. Yeah. Apparently then you shouldn't drink your pee because there will be more byproducts in your piss because your body is trying to heal itself isn't that interesting so if you're like pretty much healthy you could drink your piss a little bit maybe if you really want to um but you might as well just not right because it's like your body's ill it's not but it's like yeah not on a balance yeah exactly there's a website called primal survivor which is one of those like typical american kind of like so when russia bombs us all oh uh, this is how we're gonna survive in our basements um and they talk about some examples of people who have drunk their own weed to survive uh apparently there was a chinese man who was trapped under earthquake rubble for six days and survived by drinking his urine Mm. um there's the guy in that film that amputated his own arm oh yeah james Um, franco he yes (laughs) yes he drank his own urine um to survive and in rome nuns stuck in an elevator survived by praying and drinking urine. That sentence also works if you take out praying. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah there was an amazing article in Washington Post um, that told me more, which said the two nuns from Ireland and New Zealand were by themselves in a four-storey residence for nuns near the Vatican, um, and they got stuck in the elevator. There was a power failure, and um, the nuns were 50, 58 and 68 years old, and they left their phones in their rooms, like, oh, obviously. Why didn't they turn it into wine? And they couldn't call for help. <laughs> Um, the only item they had with them were their rosary beads but then that makes me think how do they gather the piss to drink it oh are they going straight from the source I don't know just piss into their robes and then wring it into their mouth you came up with that image pretty quickly (laughs) (laughs) Hannah I appreciate what you're trying to do here you're focusing on the piss drinking to sex up piss for us yes but you're not answering the question that I really want you to answer which is why is it when you go on your first piss on a night out you have to piss loads. Oh, why is breaking the seal? Breaking the seal. I didn't research that. Idiot. Uh. <laughs> yeah, I'm thinking that too. I feel like I'm a real victim of breaking the seal. Like maybe the alcohol, like kind of reduces your ability to hold the piss in because basically you've got the bladder where all the piss is stored, yeah. and then you've got two sphincters. Mm. Mm. You've got the internal sphincter which goes from your bladder into the urethra, which is like the pipe that the piss comes through, yeah. and then you've got the external sphincter which um, is where you release the piss from. Oh. Um, and then your butt sphincter as well. And then you have... Is sphincter but, yeah. just like a word for released valve? Yeah. Sphin- wow. Sphincter is just like any valve in the body, I think. It's not a butt-specific word? No. no. Oh, you, you knew. <laughs> I knew it wasn't butt-specific, okay. but I know it's... Uh, yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't say I knew about the double sphincters. <laughs> So maybe it is just that when, yeah, when you've drunk, you're kind of like, oh, like like the signals from your bladder are getting confused or something. And you're like, yeah. oh, no, I need to wee again. And mm. it probably get weaker as well. Like when you get pissed, everything just gets loose, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. You know. Including your sexual morals. <laughs> there was a great video on YouTube. Uh, it's called The Science Show. And it was a guy talking about pissing. And he said, 
holding your pee is only bad for you if you do it frequently for a really and for a really long time. Um, and there's receptors on your bladder wall that measure how full your bladder is. And that if you've been drinking, sometimes your brain won't recognise the messages from your bladder mm. or whatever. I mean, this is super, super, super rare, but it can cause your bladder to burst. Because <gasps> normally you just, oh, no. if your bladder's full and, and like you're trying to hold it in, you just wet yeah. yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like your sphincters would just be like, that's enough. Do you guys ever do this thing? Where say if you really really need to piss and you're on your way to the toilet, but you know that like it's another two flights of stairs and you're like even though you're on the brink of pissing yourself, it's gonna be another minute. Um, do you ever do that thing where you like try and trick your brain and you're like, I don't need to pee. Yeah, I yeah. have a mild urge to pee. Yeah, and sometimes it kind of works. Yeah, yeah, and also I feel like sometimes when I feel like I really need to pee, it will go back in. Yeah. Yes, it does. And I don't yeah. think it physically does go back in. And you kind of almost forget that you needed to pee in the first place. Yeah, that is really weird. Yeah. yeah. I also do think moving does help. Like if I only really need to pee yeah. in someone around, the bathroom, dancing in the queue, I'm yeah. like walking up and down, that sort of helps. Totally. Yeah, completely. Yeah. I have no idea why that is. I didn't research that either. And sometimes I do that thing where it's like, um, I need to pee, but um, there's no toilet, so I just eat things because I think that it would like so. <laughs> yeah, I've done that, that doesn't work. I does know. that work? But I like to eat. Probably not. So yeah. yeah. I also found out about someone called Tico Brahi, whose bladder allegedly burst and uh, killed him. <gasps> yeah, he was an astronomer in the 1600s. Um, he attended a banquet in Prague and um, didn't want to leave the banquet to relieve himself because it would have been a breach of etiquette. This is wow. from Wikipedia. Wow. Um, there was also a breach of etiquette, dying at the table. Yeah. yeah. So after he went home, he was no longer able to wee, except in very small quantities and with excruciating pain. <gasps> How long was and then, this fucking banquet? Yeah. And then he was like in delirium for like 11 days or something and then uh, died. So he might have died from uremia, which is like urea in the blood, uh, which comes from kidney failure. Oh, great. Yeah. Or he died from mercury poisoning, it says. Oh. So. oh. Okay. Which we did <laughs> in an early episode. Or the other. So yeah, I might uh, actually go for a wee right now. That's not even a joke. Yeah, great. I actually need some water, so I the cycle well. of piss can continue. Yeah. The circle of life. The cycle of piss. Guys, imagine there's no heaven. Done. It's easy if you try. I don't have to try because it's a statistical probability that there's no heaven. Caroline, I don't know why you're a novelist. You have absolutely no imagination. Well, good thing that this week's Women Who Code is about inventing imagination. Specifically for me. That is right. Today's Women Who Code Mixer is on dueling neural networks. Can I sing now or what? Yeah, you can sing. Imagine there's no heaven. The end. At the Women Who Code Mixer, we investigate the technology trends we overhear men talking about while we're waiting to get served at Carphone Warehouse. This week we're talking about dueling neural networks. Uh, I'm assuming you guys don't know what it is. I have no idea. So also, I, I like that you say dueling and not dueling. dueling. Well, I'm foreign. Hmm. So <laughs> now, uh, now, okay, now have you done that thing where you've said it, and now I keep looking at it, being like, how do I say that? <laughs> Sorry. Um, now, dueling neural networks might sound like two nerds having a fight in the bit of green outside Morrison's, but actually, it refers to the latest development in artificial intelligence. Oh. Yeah. So. 
bit of a weird one, but apparently it's going to be the big thing in uh, tech over the next year, according to TechCrunch and Wired, both of which I read for at least a minute today. Great. Oh, well done. You'll be um, on The Economist next. I think I might. Um, so Dueling Neural Networks describes a breakthrough in AI that allows it... Um, basically to create images of things it's never seen before. Oh, creepy. Very creepy, right? So um, before, everything that robots tell us and everything that know is based on things that we feed it. No, this is bad. We give it information, it parrots the information back to us in in some way or another. Right. But this, um, essentially, dueling neural networks allows for computers to learn off one another. So you you set up these two AIs and one of them will, um, you know, create images based on uh, things it pulls together online yeah. or, or whatever. Just it makes up things yeah. from scratch, which is a weird concept to think about a computer <gasps> doing. It can have sexual fantasies. It can have fantasies. It, ha- it can imagine things, essentially. Then it plays that to its buddy AI and then that criticises, that tries to figure out what's, what's wrong about the image that makes it not real. And they essentially learn off each other. They just sort of like bat that idea back and oh. forth until they create something that is perfect. Right. And what kind of thing is that going to be? Well, they say that it's um it'll be good for fraud recognition technology. But it also, it just seems like one of those weird kind of Turing test things where, you know, where at what point, you know, if if like, okay, so if a computer has imagination, that means it can make art, right? It could like write a poem yeah. or something. Not not because it's like found poems online and glue them together, because it's actually thought of it. So at what point does it become a person? I was about to say, yeah, surely that means oh, it's not a robot. Yeah. Does it have dreams, though? I don't know. I mean, that's a, so. What my question is for you two: What level of imagination would a computer have to show you for you to stop treating it as a slave? Because that's what we do with our computers: um, we just make them order discount tights and I show th- us porn. I think it would have to show emotion. Really? Yeah. But how would it show that to you? I don't know. It's a computer; it can invent itself a face. So okay. So let's say you're you're editing a podcast. As is my want. As is your want. Yes. You're up. You're up late. You're editing a podcast, and you're doing that thing where like your computer's being sort of slow, and you're like, for fuck's sake, oh, just you know, edit the audio. <laughs> Me revealing, I have no idea what you do. <laughs> yeah. Um. And uh, then a, a little the screen goes black, and the green writing comes up, and it's like, Hannah, when you speak that way, it hurts my feelings. <gasps> then I'd be like, oh my god, would that I'm be so enough? Sorry. Or would and then, and then then the then it goes back to your normal screen. And then everything resumed. But would would you like be like, oh, that was a prank, or that was a thing? Or I would, would you... freak out. I definitely think it was a prank. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, that's what I'm saying. What level would it have to do for you to actually take it seriously, or would we have to wait until we're all enslaved? I think yeah, I'd have to wait until they all started to unionize, and then I'd be like, oh, maybe this is a thing. Yeah. But then it's like, what's weird about that is like, if you think about when you read about like atrocities of human nature and like all the terrible things people have done, and it's basically always the same, which is that like, oh, we treated X group of people or X animal or X whatever really badly until um, they all unionized and rose up against us. Yeah. Or we fought. So are we as bad as those? Well, I don't treat my computer badly, I don't think. Do I? Do I? I probably overwork it. I mean, it's your slave. Yeah. Oh, that's true. I, I don't take it out much. No, you just don't. That I love Never taken it to a nice restaurant. How often do you even install updates? <gasps> How often do you say later and then ne- later never Every comes? Every time. Every time. <laughs> it's in so much pain. It would take two minutes of your time. Oh, God, I'm sorry. Just close down a couple of applications and restart a few minutes later. Your donation <laughs> could help take ten computers out of poverty. Let's take them all on to Disneyland. <laughs> The more I talk to you, lads, the more I think that um, maybe the computers deserve to rise up against us. 
Yeah. Because you have no empathy for our computer friends. I'm saying this loudly with my laptop open. <laughs> yeah, fine. So Hannah, you've gone slightly green and pale. You look very scared and weak and maybe malnourished. What's going on? Yeah, no, I've not been uh, eating lately, Alex, because um, a few weeks ago I spent my life savings on three centimetres of shredded Banksy. Um, and honestly, I still can't tell whether it's an investment or not, maybe because of my low blood sugar. It's okay, come on. Um, but luckily, I've invited Gavin Day here. <gasps> Hello all. That name is familiar to me. Gavin Day. Somehow. Good evening. Is he a is famous he? artist? Resident art expert for this evening only, I think. <laughs> yeah. I'm a graphic designer, that's okay. So <laughs> Gavin Day does the logos for School for Dumb Women, the excellent logo. And you're here to tell us kind of why art is so damn expensive. Like, it doesn't make sense, really, that art's so expensive. No, so it's like, um, well, Picasso used to pay for dinners with sketches he did, which is like a really baller move, but also yeah. kind of a like horrible thing for a guy to do. Like, imagine like saying, "No, we need your money," because <laughs> you did a sketch on <laughs> yeah, a napkin like, of like, "I've got to pay my rent." So anyway, art never used to cost that much money, and it's a weird day today, actually, guys, because today, today is the thirty-fifth anniversary of an auction that changed why art now costs so much money. It was called the Skull Auction. Not with a K, with a C, but it is Halloween, so the Skull Auction. And this was a guy called Robert Skull who owned... He sounds fit. uh, He wasn't fit. Uh, Uh, His wife was pretty hot. In fact, Warhol did a couple of paintings of her. Even the uh, director of the Metropolitan Museum of Art was like... I want to get a painting of her. She's a pretty good-looking chick. <laughs> made no bones about it. Oh, it's New York. It's the 60s. Everyone's in, awful. Yeah, I'm enjoying yeah. the accents a lot. Yeah. So his his auction was the first time anyone had ever sold off their entire collection as like a mass hoard and treated it like right. essentially as a commodity. Okay. And this so guy, like he'd curated it. Uh, yeah. Like what Saatchi is now or was in the early 90s, he was like way, way before that. Right. So tell me what happened at this art auction. How were people responding to it? What went on? So it was the first time that the public had really got involved in an art auction and he made sure that happened. He was a seriously shrewd guy, advertised it loads. Yeah, he just he sort of just loved himself a bit. There's a hilarious archive clip of him sitting in the front room of his house talking about how... You know, art is acquisition is involvement, and I just do it to help the little guy, and it's not about me. And the slow, the camera, the cameraman must have known what he was doing. Like he slowly pans out, and over his fireplace is an enormous picture of his own face. <laughs> it's so big. It's like a Manhattan loft, and it goes from floor to ceiling. It's like, if you were in that room, it is the most imposing picture of someone that's like, amazing. oh, that's just me, that's what I do. Uh, yeah, so anyway, he puts on the show, the public love it, the prices of his art that he bought for really not very much is astronomical. There's a painting called Double White Map by Jasper Johns that ends up selling for it's a two and a half thousand percent markup from what he paid for it, and the artist wow. didn't get any kickback, and they hated him. Do Those... artists normally get a little a little percentage of the of the, the value? When it, it had sells. never been a problem up until that point, so oh, they never bothered. Uh, yeah. So he changed all that. So they actually lobbied Washington after this, some American artists, and they nearly got it passed, and then it got kicked back. So. <gasps> Since that show, no artist has ever made any money off the back of that. But it changed the politics of it after that show. So yeah. Robert Rauschenberg, who's quite famous, you might have heard of him. He's like a pop artist, came up with Warhol. He's kind of on par with them. He's like the critics version of Warhol. The public know who Warhol is, but Rauschenberg's like, you know, the okay. fuckboy of the critics. Everyone yeah, 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 yeah. Um, he picketed the show 
and got a bunch of artists to pick at the show with him. And they had like, literally outside the show marching, they had really rubbish chants. It was like, they buy with their millions, they buy with their millions. It was like the worst chant. They ever. kind of overthought it. Yeah. Because um, they're all artists. Like, yeah. They're not like the working man. They're just like, it's too intellectual, this chant. Yeah. Rauschenberg was pissed. He he had his paintings sold for like a thousand. He sold his paintings to this guy for like a thousand dollars. And Robert Scott would always be like, three sales are nothing. Like that sort of, you know, he wouldn't buy your paintings unless you sold him three for a cut rate. And then he sold Rauschenberg paintings for like 40 grand, 60 grand, 80 grand. This Jasper Johns painting sold for two and a half, 250K and he bought it for 10 grand. Jasper Johns was like, oh my you'd God. be pissed, wouldn't you? You'd yeah. be so pissed. So what's the fallout? So the fallout is that this happens in 1973. After that, loads of things, that was a result of loads of things. Artists were like, okay, we need to get our cut now. So they started charging higher prices at the start. Mm. Other people started looking at the show like, oh my God, you can make a ton of money with art. So the conversation turned from what does this painting mean to how much does this painting cost? Right. And then it became a whole thing. And this is before the 80s. Then the 80s happened. The 80s! You know, it's like (laughs) not a decade known for its restraint. And then prices just went insane. Right. So people would buy a Picasso. And at that point, art just went from being something that's about aesthetics to just an investment. And like, you know, the CEO of like Citibank would buy a Picasso for five million. Mm. This, I mean, this actually happened. He bought a Picasso for six million in 1981, sat on it for eight years and sold it for 48 million in Whoa. 1989. Right. So at that point, it just becomes like that's the, the start of the story. And that's the, that's the discussion about art we have now, which is the start of the story, the middle of the story and the end of the story is how much does it cost? That, that's 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 how people know about art, mm. and that's why you get like people at the Sun in the early nineties being like, "It's an unmade bed. I'm not paying five million pounds for an unmade bed. Mm, it's a yeah. shark in a tank. Why am I paying?" And, you know, and that's why critics who have lived long enough to see this before the prices went crazy are just up in arms. Like, yeah, the art market and the prices in the art market are the big shock factor of the last fifty years. It's difficult as well, isn't it? Because if you're starting out as an artist and you're creating something which is, you know, you think is really good or whatever, you still can't charge, you know, fifty grand for your painting until you're mm. like a bit famous. And then there's still someone who's gonna profit off of you selling something for two hundred pounds. It's it's like trend forecasting. It's yeah. you know what I mean? So it becomes much more about like guessing the next thing yeah. rather than art, which is what it's supposed to be about, quote unquote which is judging what you are versus the world and how to make something out of that. And also art, again, big conversation, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, what we're talking about here are art objects. Like, no yeah. one's buying performance art. You can't mm, buy yeah, it. Yeah. There's, like, no performance artists make money, really. Marina Abramovich, but that's off her fame as opposed to her actual works. You can't yeah. really buy someone staring at you. What intrigues me is, who decides if the person is cool and worth millions? Yeah. How do you create that buzz of, like, this cow in formaldehyde is worth trillions of pounds well it has to have like a patina you know not the actual physical thing like it has to have a kind of an aura or a glow around it as right. a thing. Je ne sais quoi. like if you were to like john burgess did an amazing thing on this he's like if you were to if you were to find out this was this is just a champagne flute i yeah. guess from ikea probably yeah <laughs> if you were to find out that's like the last champagne flute that diana held before she died yeah Ooh. suddenly that takes on a whole new thing yeah, yeah. and and it was <laughs> <laughs> And it's it takes on that kind of that aura, that sense of like, am I allowed to touch it? Should I touch it? And that's what that's what the money attempts to do. Yeah. Um, it makes you feel like you can't judge it. Suddenly yeah. it's so expensive. Mm. Who the hell are you? Who are you, Mr. Twenty Four Grand a year, to yeah. say this thing yeah. is not worth something? It's like strikes you blind. Yeah. 
Bob Robert Hughes, Australian art critic, was always like, these prizes, they have a cultural function. Their function is to strike you blind. And it was right. always like, you'd always talk about the price of art just completely taken out of the realm of reality, which is what it's supposed to be for. Yeah. But what's interesting about that is there's, like, there's almost like a reciprocal thing. So it's like the money attaches meaning to the art, but the person spending the money then gets the glow of the art attached to yeah. them. Yeah, yeah. They're a person who understands and gets art. Mm. So do you think that's why maybe that the prices exploded in the 80s because it's this age of new money and people making a lot of money very quickly and they're like almost trying to like buy their way into a class by liking art. Plus, and it's not all bad. Like yeah. The idea that art should be... The director of the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York in the 60s was all about like, breaking down barriers and why should going into an art gallery be any more aristocratic than going into a movie theatre? It's, it's all about just making it available to you. It shouldn't be treated like an academic subject. Yeah, I think it's really interesting you said that because I went to an exhibition at the Barbican not too long ago um, and it was a photography exhibition and it was there were some really nice photos and photos like quite accessible, right? You just kind of look mm. at them and you're like, oh, that's real life, but it looks really nice. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's Great. such a brilliant... Yeah. But like... But the captions that they've put underneath these photos were just absolutely unreadable. Yeah. You just could not understand what they were trying to say because they were referencing different artists and they were referencing different styles. And it just felt like, this isn't for me. Yeah. And that's what comes back to the, this is all about the money thing, because you feel like you can't talk about it. Because it's, I mean, what's that painting that went for of Jesus, like 350 million pounds? For what? For, I know it's, it's a Leonardo painting, but like, for what? Yeah. Somebody go see the Mona Lisa and you realise like you could put that in a tote bag and walk out because it's not very big. You're like, I, I, <laughs> I queued up for this. You know when you were talking about it's the, the size of an iPad. Yeah. The Mona Lisa actually is a funny is a funny one because that, you know, you could argue that started the whole thing before. The reason Skull got into collecting it is because the, the Mona Lisa visited New York in 1963 and it was this massive publicity thing and uh, that was the first ever like blockbuster show in America. And then that began a whole like... Uh, wave they put they called it like a cultural extension of the arms race because the kennedys wanted to be seen like oh this is where it's happening yeah this is where this is where the culture is happening not in russia nowhere not in europe the u.s this is where it's going down and then that started a whole public interest in art when pop art came in and post-war aspiration and everyone was involved in the media and like democratizing of art skull took that and fucked us in 73 well he just did the american thing didn't he yeah like sold it all he had the power he had any problems yeah Yeah. he did yeah exactly we mentioned um banksy in the introduction like what do you think of it obviously i'm sure everyone has heard but recently um a painting of his was sold at sotheby's or maybe was even a painting like a drawing a print i'm not sure what it was i think i think he actually did the that spray because you can make you can make prints of stuff, but I think he actually did the spray. Paint. It was actually okay, yeah. yeah. Um, and then there was a shredder in the bottom of the frame, and as soon as it was sold, as soon as the hammer went down, the painting fell through the shredder and actually got jammed halfway. Apparently, it wasn't. It was meant to shred the whole thing. Oh, did it? Yeah, I didn't apparently. Know that. Um, but what? Yeah, what? What do you make of that? I don't buy that it was meant to st- to go all the way through. Like, cause, like oh. I think it was still because it, sta- oh. it stays as an intact object if it's half done. First of all, as if Sotheby's didn't know. You know what I mean? Like, oh, here's a oh, frame. Yeah. I've never used a period frame before, but I'm going to use it. And it's very heavy, but don't look inside or scan yeah. it. Oh. You know what I mean? And they could get in a lot of trouble, actually, because of that, because they could be seen as fixing the prices because mm. it was an event and a, and a stunt. And people now want to just talk about the meme. Oh, that's the shredded thing. Like, imagine having a non-shredded Banksy that looks like that. You're like, oh, I just I got done there. Yeah. Yeah. I should have bought it. should have waited two months. Yeah. So you don't think that it's like a worthwhile commentary on art? dealership at all do you think it's totally cynical 
Yes, when it comes to when it comes to him now, like he's lost. You could say he's doing this as like a long term performance art piece or whatnot, and business is the best art and blah blah blah. But like, if you're gonna, I mean, Will Gompertz of the BBC said this was the biggest moment in art since Duchamp's urinal, like which wow. happened like a hundred years ago. I read that. I mean, you saw me reading. It. I was like. Mm-hmm. Close the laptop. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And like, I, it's, you know, it is a stunt, and I get that, but I wouldn't say it's the biggest moment in art. Yeah. I don't know. He, he's kind of playing off that kind of like bad boy, like, oh, I don't play by the rules. I'm yeah, going to shred yeah, my yeah. own thing, but also the price is going to triple. I'm going to profit off that. You know what I mean? I'm fancy, yeah. like, you know, I'm a rascal. It is. It's I'll like, rascal you out of your money. It is. It's like the guy walking around the. F- you know, 55-year-old guy walking around with his Rage Against the Machine hoodie on. It's like, mate, come on. <laughs> yeah. Come on. And also the painting itself. Like, no one's talking about the face. It's just a girl with a balloon. Like, yeah, it's like yeah. it's the one it's... that like you'll find in Camden Market on T-shirts. Yeah. I, I did have that T-shirt, wow. yeah, like 10 years ago. But then again, like, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't really like it as a piece of graffiti, but now I'm forced to have like a strong opinion about it yeah. because it's like, you know what I mean? It, it makes mm. you insane. I just, I'd, otherwise, I'd see that on a street corner. I'd be like, oh, someone did that. Fine. But now I have to be like, you hear all this like noise and you have to sort of go mindfulness on everyone and be like, I will shut it out and just go to a gallery. <laughs> yeah. And, like, you have to just, like, it's a Herculean effort to make up your own mind. And these prices just come there to just like boot you out and say, you don't matter. It's just the market thing. But now you could argue this is just that the last cries of an irrelevant art form, just trying to get what it can before it goes out. And then everyone's just going to say, fuck this. Do you yeah. think that's what's going to happen then? What What do you think is the future of, of the art world? What? How Huge the hell? So, say, so like in so, two minutes. So taking like the taking like that painting that's been sold, the the new Leonardo that was found that got sold for three hundred and fifty million pounds. It's been loaned to the Abu Dhabi Louvre. They've made a Louvre in Abu oh, Dhabi now. F- no one knows who bought it. It's supposed to. Be, I think it's an Arab buyer, secret Arab buyer. It's like how is that going to make a profit? Everyone's, yeah. How? What, it's not even a good painting. <laughs> Surely this is like a really long. What yeah. do you call it? Tulip mania or whatever. It's just another one of them. Tulip mania. Yeah, it's like it's like inflated market prices way beyond the value of the thing. Oh wow! And everyone just agrees that yeah. this thing is worth a lot of money until everyone wakes up one day and goes, "What the fuck are we doing?" <laughs> it's like the king has no clothes. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. We have all the tulips. The king has no clothes. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, Gavin, I'll see you at home. This has been a <laughs> wonderful talk on, on the nature of art and uh, and commerce. Gavin, thank you so much for coming in. Thank you. Please uh, use his real name, Gavin Day. Gavin Day. Gavin Day. Where can people find out more about you on your on your Twitter account that you never use? You can find me on my very limited edition Twitter account at underscore Gavin Day. Ah, clean. I like it. Mm. Like me. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow! Did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com/acast and use code acast for twenty percent off your first purchase. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, 
like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Well, what an adventure! To round off the podcast each week, we have a smart lesson in which we aim to wave a magic wand and turn ourselves into smart women. Um, and a large part of being a smart woman, of course, is being emotionally intelligent, which is our excuse for dragging other people's personal business through the mud in our guidance counsellor smart lesson. So what is this week's problem, Alex? This week's problem is about being in a state of undress. Ah. Um, it's a, a woman who has a partner. And he has two teenage daughters, 13 and 17. So she says, he and his daughters tend to be half-dressed in their home, like he walks around in a short but shirtless frequently. His 13-year-old seems to be in her underwear most of the day when she's at home. His 16-year-old seems to be dressed a bit more, but is also frequently wearing only a bra on top. One time about three months ago, I fell asleep there for a few hours, and when I woke up, they were in the living room lying on the couch bed. They were under a blanket, and he was in the middle, over the blanket, shirtless, sort of petting their heads around their shoulders watching TV. Is it me, or are they somehow unusual, or even weird? Um... Okay, mm. I I, th- I understand why she might feel a little bit weird, but I think it, every family has their own nudity boundaries. Yeah. Mm. And, like, unless, you know, he's doing something weird, then it's not weird. You know what I mean? I suppose, I, I guess at the beginning I was like, oh, shirtless dad in underwear walking around the house. Fine. I can completely imagine yeah. that or whatever. I don't know. I don't know why. And maybe it's completely the way we're socialised. But like then the idea of having like teenage girls in their bra and pants just wandering around yeah. seems really strange. Yeah, the dad thing didn't really bother me. But then again, like, why is it strange? Yeah, how bad is that? That we're just like, oh, well, yeah. the, the guy's okay, but the girls? Like, we're yeah. meant to be feminists, for God's sake. It really exposes our own prejudices, doesn't it? Yeah. But to be fair, I think it's their age. I don't think it's that they're girls. I think if there was an equivalent with teenage boys, we'd probably feel the same. I don't know, because I grew up with brothers, and I I remember not really feeling weird about them being in box. But they would, like, walk around the house naked or anything. But if I saw them in their shorts, I wouldn't really react. But I'd never walk around them with my bra and pants on. Yeah. Mm, yeah, I see what you mean. But then bikinis are fine, which is yeah, weird. so yeah. weird. They should change the fabric and every, yeah. everyone's fine. <laughs> Make it a jazzy print. Yeah. So, it's so strange. Yeah. And it's that weird way of how we treat, like, women's bodies of, like... Like, a man's body is neutral, but a woman's body is, like, flirty and sexy, no matter what state, even if you're just, like, sitting around watching TV yeah. with your dad. Yeah. It's yeah, because if it was, like, a 60-year-old who's going around naked, you'd be like, oh, they're only six, like, cool, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then as soon as they're, what are they in here, 13 and 16, you're kind of like, oh, well... So, yeah, they have, like, their sexual organs are maturing. Changes are happening to your body. There's fur where there was no fur before. <laughs> yeah, I think that's what it is. It's, like, you're starting to be aware of sex. That's why yeah. you're weirded out by it. And, but then also think of like imagine remember all the hang-ups you had about your body when you were that age and I imagine I'm willing to guess these girls don't really have those because yeah. if they did they wouldn't be so sort of free and happy in themselves around the house yeah, yeah maybe they're sort of like maybe obviously not like entirely nudist but maybe they're just like semi-nudists and that's kind of yeah. cool clearly the dad has raised them with a pretty good sense of self yeah. You know? But then again, this is all easy to say intellectually, but if it came down to the wire and my boyfriend and his teenage daughters were hanging around the house naked, 
would I feel freaked out? Ah, but it's not naked. He's not fully naked. I, don't I think know you'd be they're freaked not out. fully naked. But that would freak me out. Yeah. But I think you'd sort of have to be like, yeah, good for that. Because you don't want to be the one that's like, cover yourself up. Yeah. Yeah. You are shameful. Yeah. 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 I think you'd just have to try and override your own prejudices with your intellect and be like, yeah. this is fine. This is not a weird thing. And her, her, the tone of her letter is very much like, she doesn't seem to think that these girls don't understand boundaries or they're, no. you know what I mean? Yeah. There's a really interesting bit actually, which we didn't read out that says, um, she talks about her own children and she says, last time my son walked into his sister changing, she pretty much yelled at him to get out and she was shirtless with a bra on, not even half naked. And that's kind of like, oh, yeah. well, like, Maybe that's bad. Yeah. Like, obviously, you don't you don't want your dad to see you naked, obviously. Yeah. But it should just be like, Dad, get out. Yeah. yeah. You know, not like, ah, which is my, which is everybody's response, you know? Like, some people just have different boundaries. That I think especially yeah. if you've got a family where it's all one gender, people tend to be really yeah. chill. Yeah, I can picture that. Yeah. What, yeah. I, what I find quite, like, sad and depressing, because I've got, I've got a couple of friends who I can be naked around, and I think it's very, it's very actually nice. Oh, yeah. Because you see your friend for like oh like you think she's way thinner than you or way prettier than you or way something than you yeah. and then you actually see her body and you're like oh you're just like a animal like I am an animal you know yeah. um, but then like I think more and more in male groups of friends you get the the kind of naked hangout boys right yeah yeah. yeah, yeah there's yeah. always those groups of uni lads who like have been friends for years and years and they're always naked together yes and I always get naked. a bit jealous that there isn't more of that in yeah, girl groups yeah it's like a part of the, the bro cult should we do this podcast naked next week yeah we should do a naked podcast yeah. Oh, I'm always naked with my that. best friend. Okay. Lads, yeah. shall we, next week's podcast, will strip off. Yeah, done. <laughs> well, that's it for another week of learning, unlearning, and mixing fact with fiction. But hey, at least you can take someone out on a date to an art fair and sound like you might know what a Pikachu looks like. Picasso, sorry. Picasso. If you liked this podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe to it. Tweet about it, blog it, Instagram about it. Hell, take a photo of it on a disposable camera and get it developed at Boots just to tell someone. And then get it shredded. Yes. That sounds amazing. Thanks to Harry Harris for doing our jingles, Gavin Day, who was on the show <gasps> for coming in and for doing our logo. He's real. And Soho Radio Studios for the recording space. We'll be back next week. So until then, goodbye. Bye. I've seen Gavin's penis. That's great. We'll put like a little towel under our badges though because it gets really warm in here. Yeah. And they'd probably send us a bill. (laughs) The cleaning. Cleaning. Yeah. One of them's burned through the chair. (laughs) Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.